He's a retired police officer. He worked in an exclusive area where crime was not an issue. However, one night, a domestic violence, domestic disturbance call changed his life when a suspect opened fire on him and other officers, trapping him. He was injured, not just physically, mentally and emotionally as well. He's here to tell a story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Calling us from New Jersey, we have retired police officer Kevin Donaldson on the phone. Thanks so much for being guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me, John. Kevin, by the way, this being a retired law enforcement officer, we'll explain why in a few moments. And I want to thank you for your service. Very much appreciated. He also is a podcaster. He has a podcast called The Suffering Podcast. Go online, thesufferingpodcast.com. And he has a nonprofit organization called Dented Development. We'll talk about that more. Kevin, you were in Roseland, New Jersey Police Department, correct? Yes, I was. How many years were you on the job there? I did a total of 13 years, uh, closer to 14 years by the time I was forced to retire. Gotcha. A lot of people have misconceptions. I had these misconceptions as a young cop in Baltimore that the people in the smaller jurisdictions, the wealthier jurisdictions, the counties, they had it easier. They didn't. Uh, where you policed didn't have a reputation of being a high crime area, did it? No, not at all. I mean, you would get your, we lived about 10 minutes west on a, via a very large highway from Newark, New Jersey. As you know, Newark is an inner city. Roseland was a very affluent white collar town. What I tell people, and I didn't realize this when I first got on, is when you want to steal something, you don't go to the poorer sections. You go to the richer right. sections. Yeah. Violent crime has a tendency to follow people. And I always tell people, I hate when they say this. They'll, they'll say, you know, I don't understand. My car got stolen. My wife had her purse snatched. I got a house broken into. I live in a nice neighborhood. And I say this all the time. Criminals drive stolen cars. They take buses. They take trains. They go to where the money is. Absolutely. And you never can tell because the worst thing about a small part department is the complacency. Right. You have you have multiple slow nights, and as I know all too well, 
all that can change with one crack of the radio. Yeah. Oh, well, there's an old saying in police work, and it's overused, and I think it's cliche at times, but it's so true. Complacency kills. I'll say it again. In police work, complacency kills. So when you get pulled over and you're wondering why that cop touching the back of your car, doing all the stuff, walking up, keeping close contact till they are comfortable knowing there's no threat. That's because complacency kills. And when you work in a department that's smaller, doesn't have a lot of crime, you, like you said, you get a few days in a row of quiet nights, you begin to take it easy and relax a little bit. That's true. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing to, to sit there all the time. There was a, uh, you know, remember Everybody Loves Raymond? Yeah, I love that show. So the, so the brother was a cop, and he put a definition on police work, which I use all the time today. It's sheer mind-numbing boredom interrupted by brief moments of absolute horror. Absolutely. And that's police work across the board, whether you're in the inner city or whether you're in the suburban small town. Before we get into your story, one of the big things that I struggled with when I retired, I got hurt and retired young, 11 years on the job, so it was very similar in, in length. Physically injured, you know, I went from being in an environment where you're calm, you're normal, to extreme adrenaline, back to calm to normal, to extreme adrenaline, back and forth, up and down, up and down like a yo-yo, to just no excitement at all. And I found it very difficult, very difficult to adjust. A lot of times police... Become, that becomes their primary identity. And when you put something that has an expiration date as your primary identity, when that finally does end, as police work you know will end, now all of a sudden you're lost, and you've got to find a new primary identity. But if your primary identity, and I didn't learn this until way after I was retired, if your primary identify is something bigger or greater than yourself, you're going to be okay, and you're going to live past that five years after retirement that is the, the national average for yeah. police to die. I remember being a rookie in the academy, and he said the average life expectancy of a Baltimore police officer back then was 52, and they usually died within two years of retiring, and they usually drank themselves to death because they're not busy, their mind's not occupied, and they wind up thinking. And they spend times, I always say my mind's like a bad neighborhood. Don't go there by yourself, and don't spend a lot of time there. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Uh, I spent nine months after I couldn't work anymore, where I wasn't allowed to work. So I sat home, trapped inside myself. It was the worst nine months of my life. I get it. I understand 100%. Let's talk about the incident that pretty much there's life before and there's life after. One of the most dangerous calls that law enforcement officers can go on is domestic disturbance, domestic violence, family trouble, you name it, because... It can go insanely violent out of nowhere and catch you totally off guard. And that's what happened to you. It, was, it started out like every other horrific call that you've ever went on, where it was the slowest night possible, and you're praying for just an alarm call, something to keep your mind occupied, something to keep you busy. You don't want to fall asleep, but when there's nothing else going on, it's unfortunate that that does happen sometimes. This was one of those nights. I pull up next to my partner, and I remember saying to him, just something. Give me something just to occupy my time. We're working the uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift, which is the overnight shift. And it, it, nothing was happening. I mean, we didn't ha the radio was dead silent. It wasn't we we shared a radio with surrounding town. So it wasn't just us. The surrounding town was also dead quiet. So we used to have to do those little strip mall checks. So I was going off to do the little strip mall check and 
here we go, open 911 call. So for those people who don't know what an open 911 call is, in New Jersey, we have to respond to every single 911 call, whether it's a misdial or whether it's a mistake, to make sure that everything's okay. We have to put eyes on the people. This was an open 911 call, but the dispatcher could hear arguing in the back. So you take everything pretty serious, but you never think, even though you're, you're mentally prepared that this could be the call, you never really in the back of your mind believe that this is going to be the one. But we go flying lights and sirens. It's about 10 o'clock at night. There's nobody on the roads. very safe. We get there as safely and as fast as possible. We pull up to these little townhouse complexes. It's this really nice, affluent area. And, you know, I can still remember the route I took. I remember... The speed I was going, my partner's right behind me. We're coming up with this makeshift plan on the way there, trying to get ready for battle in case we we have to do something. And we show up at the front door. There was three of us there at the time. My partner goes around back to cover the rear. You can hear arguing inside. But again, we don't know what the call is because the woman inside, who we found out was the victim, just dialed 911, threw the phone on the ground, and they're listening to everything those are the things that you really don't have a lot of information about what's going on all you can go by is your spidey senses to use a term it's using in movies street smarts whatever it might be and usually those types of calls make the the hair on the back of your neck stand up because there's something not quite right we use the term hanky this is a law enforcement today's show we are talking with kevin donaldson retired police officer also a podcaster his podcast is called the suffering podcast and he has a nonprofit called dented development we return we're going to learn what happened next and how it affected his life after don't go anywhere we will be right back has this ever happened to you you sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours you're receiving tons of spam that won't happen when you subscribe for the free law enforcement today radio show email newsletter we won't spam you no more than two emails a week i promise all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Kevin Donaldson, retired police officer. He's also a podcaster. His podcast is called The Suffering Podcast, and he has a nonprofit called Dented Development. We will talk about those later on. Before we went to break, Kevin, we're talking about that call, the domestic violence call, in your case, an open 911 call. We had the same thing. And, you know, I started thinking, I just had uh, an old episode with uh, John O'Brien from Montana, and it was a domestic disturbance call, very similar. And he wound up getting in a gunfight with the guy and killing the guy. I had a, a young female officer named Stacy Weston, who's now retired, open 911 call, Auburndale, Florida. She was shot multiple times with SKS rifle, almost killed. These stories are so powerful and so profound, and yet most people don't even know that they occur because what happens in the media, they'll say, oh, the officers weren't hit, or the injuries are not life-threatening, and that's the end of the story. I'm really glad you're here to talk about yours because it turned very violent for you, didn't it? You know, not all wounds are visible, John. No. As a matter of fact, the most painful ones are the invisible wounds. And as we go up to this porch, we can hear the arguing behind the door. My partner 
goes around the bat. We formulate this little plan. I mean, that's one of the things as, as police you really got to do is you got to you got to be able to pivot in the on a dime at any time and come up with a new strategy. Our strategy was we're gonna we're gonna because it was a townhouse complex and the the unit was in the middle, so the, there was only two ways out out the back or out the front. Fully expecting that this guy is either going to flee one way or the other. We again, we don't know any weapons. I'm behind a steel door. I can't see anything, but I do have a Halligan bar in my hand, and the Halligan bar is like a, a heavy duty fireman's crowbar. So our plan was he's going to cover the back. I'm going to start trying to breach the front door, and fully expecting the assailant to flee out the back into the other officer. Game over. But often the best laid plans of mice and men can often go awry, as this one certainly did. And one of the myths about police work is you see the movies and you see officers kicking down doors. It doesn't happen. It's really hard to kick down a steel door. It's very difficult. And I learned (laughs) the hard way. Don't use your shoulder because you'll you'll pay for it later on. Yeah, you'll you'll bust your shoulder up. But the Halligan Bar, we're we're trained on how to breach those doors. You, You pop the lock, you crack it in there. And on a given signal, it was go time, I start hammering the lock and getting it in there and start ready to pop. And you hear the guy on the other side say, don't come in here, don't come in here. And then pop, 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 pop. And I just drop the Halligan bar, sort of drop down a little bit. We're catching gunfire. And, and we you, don't know where it's coming you're exposed. You're, it's not like, first of all. This is an exception. I have a point of contempt and whatever you want to use where I disagree with Hollywood. They have police officers standing, knocking the door, and that's a deadly funnel fire. Same with windows. You don't want to be there. But when you're forcing the door open because you heard something that obviously made you all think, we got to go in, we got to go in now, you don't really have the option. You're you're in an exposed position opening that door. A hundred percent because... And I was always very conscious of this as a police officer. I didn't. I can't say I did it 100 percent of the time, but I'll bet you I did it 90 percent of the time. Where I never stood directly in front of the door, and I still don't do it to this day. And that's eight and a half years. This has happened eight and a half years ago. But as I tried to breach the door, these gunshots ring out, and I don't know whether the guy's firing at me or whether my partner in the back. After some radio chatter, we find out my partner exchanged gunfire with him because he was raising his gun. He had a he had a nine millimeter. He's raising his gun. He's going to shoot. His girlfriend. What we find out is it's his ex-girlfriend. It's a lover's thing. And he was going to break her head. Sure enough, he's going to kill her. My partner exchanges this gunfire. We, we find out everybody's okay. At this time, other units are pulling up, so I'm able to retreat around to the back to give my partner assistance. And now, I don't know if you, you know what a townhouse deck is. It's like a nine-by-nine nine deck yeah. with privacy wood on it. And... You have an entrance on the left-hand side. So I get over in the right-hand side. There's three of us that go up on the deck. I get over on the on the right-hand side of the deck thinking I have the best tactical advantage because there's a sliding glass door and I can see everything. I can see the victim. She's terrified. And we know we have to get to her because that's our job. But we have to get to her as safely as possible. We cannot see the assailant at all. What I realize now, and this is this is that Monday morning quarterback in me, is she was looking directly at him. He was standing behind a wall in a perfect position where there was no good spot. So this tactical position that I took seemed like the best option because if he comes out, it's game on. Once again, we pivot and formulate a plan. We're going to breach the sliding glass door with one of the patio chairs in the back, and we're going to enter in there, and we're going we're to try to end this thing before somebody gets hurt. 
It's all we want to do is we want to protect life. It's all it is. We do this. We throw the thing through the door, and John, to this day, I have this is this is the stuff of nightmares. I see a flash. I hear the bang. I feel the grains of gunpowder hitting me in my face at point blank range. Say maybe at this time, maybe five or six feet away. This guy volleys around, flies past my left ear. It wiggles my ear. And you know, if you've, for those people who are ever in a critical incident, there's two types of people in this world. There's people that stay and fight. And then there's people that run away. Those that stay and fight, everything just slows down. Oh yeah. There, there, there's, there, you're conscious of everything. You think you're going to have all this fear, but you really don't. And, but then there are some people that just run for the hills. You know, you, you see smoke behind them like in, a, like in a cartoon. But I wasn't one of those people, thankfully. But I hit the ground. Now, you know as a cop, you take your keys. What do you, what do, you do with your keys? You put your keys on your microphone antenna. Right. Because that's how you carry it around your keys. When I hit the ground and I fell on all this broken glass from the, rear, from the sliding glass door, my keys fell off my antenna. I was able to consciously grab my keys, put them back on my antenna. Now, where I am, which I thought was the best tactical position, turns out I am in the worst place possible, about six feet away from the, the steps, and I can't get out. If I get out, I know this guy now is right behind the wall. He's going to have a clear shot at me. I'm, it's open season. So what do I do? I think very consciously and calmly about my children. You know, I had, at the time I had a three-year-old and I had a seven-month-old. I think about my wife having to raise the kids. I prepare myself to die because I know this, we're going we're gonna to exchange gunfire. I'm bleeding cause I'm not, and my shoulder hurts because I think I hit my shoulder on the way down. I'm not sure. If I'm shot, people are, I hear people asking me, are you hit? I have no clue. You know, you always hear those stories that you don't know you're hit. Oh, absolutely. We did that all the time, Kevin. It's like, we, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you hit? We had to pat ourselves down. We didn't know. You didn't know, and I had no clue. But I was, I was fully prepared to die. I was fully prepared to go. But my thinking was, is, okay, you got me, but I'm going to take you with me. Here's the thing. We're, There's something... I went through this where it became readily apparent to me. My thinking was, and it doesn't make sense, this guy's trying to kill me. I'm going to die, but it won't be tonight, and it won't be because of him. I was at that moment prepared to do whatever it took to survive. And we're going to take a short break where we turn our conversation with Kevin Donaldson. We're going to find out what he did to survive and how it impacted him from that point on. And the impact, just like me, was massive. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return conversation with Kevin Donaldson on the Law Enforcement Show. Kevin is a retired police officer from Roseland, New Jersey. He is also a podcaster. His podcast is called The Suffering Podcast. Go online to sufferingpodcast.com and check out his nonprofit called Dented Development, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Before we went to break, Kevin, unfortunately, you, you talked about this 
mindset where you realize you're going to die. This guy's going to try to kill you and you weren't going to go alone. You weren't going without a fight. And that immediately took me back to several times in my career. But when you get there, and I know this is fast forwarding, we will return this conversation in a moment. When you get to that point, something primitive inside of you, I should say something primitive inside of me came up that I found very disturbing and it, it goes against my nature. So just hold on to that point. When you realize that this guy was shooting at you, you were in a bad position, you were you were hurt, you didn't know if you were shot, and you you were prepared to die, you're thinking about your kids, you're thinking about your wife. How was your mindset? Were you were you thinking this is the end? It's a strange feeling because I was so calm. I remember just having such clarity of thought. I wish I could I could live the rest of my life in that type of mindset, that clarity, because I. I could tell you every single little detail of what the window looked like, the glass on the ground, the blood on my arms because of all the glass that I fell on. I could tell you everything. I could tell you the pains. And so I wish I had that clarity of thought. That was my mindset at the time. Well, I'm not saying this to be funny, ha-ha funny, but it's (laughs) ironic when you in a life and death situation, nothing else matters. And now that we have more pleasant, more peaceful lives, we get our thoughts crowded with every little thing and we lose that clarity. And Idle Mind does the devil's work, which plays into my story very heavily post-shooting. And I'm pinned down here in this shooting position. I'm in a prone position. I'm on my stomach, ready to go. Uh, it, It was probably an honest about 30 seconds that I was trapped in there. I couldn't move. I was in such a bad spot. Thankfully, there are other officers who stuck around. They retreated off the deck after the shot because they could and they're supposed to, but they never left. And this is the true mark of police work today. There are. I had one of the officers who I think is still running, and he left me for dead, but there were two officers. One of, the, one of the, their names was uh, Terry West. He was a sergeant, and the other one was Jason Hyder. They were able to grab the back of my duty belt and assist me off while holding me undercover. And after about 30 seconds, I get off the deck. And you have that holy cow moment where you're like, did this really just happen? You know, I know this is a radio show. I use different terminology when I'm speaking with my friend, but you know exactly what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're saying. (laughs) It's this holy cow moment. I cannot believe this stuff really just happened. Kevin, I'm I'm thinking to myself, remember... This guy doesn't even know me. He has no idea who I am, and he is trying to kill me. He just saw the blue uniform, and it took me a long time to arrive at that, that he wasn't trying to kill Kevin Donaldson. He was trying to kill a police officer who was interfering with his task. And I get off this deck. I'm I'm, I'm patting myself down. We're making sure we're in a safe area now. We're making sure I'm not shot. I got blood. There's blood everywhere because of the glass on my arms. I still, to this day, have glass in my arms because of that night that they were never able to fully remove. Uh, my kids think it's really funny now that I got a piece of glass in my arm, but at the time it wasn't so funny. I, we, we then expected this guy fully. We were able, at this time, the guy retreated upstairs. We could see a little bit of his legs upstairs, and we, there's, there's, he's not communicating. You figure this guy is coming out in a blaze of glory. But when he ran upstairs, one of the things we were able to do is get the victim out. So now the worst of the worst is over. In my opinion, we did our job and we protected the life of an innocent. This guy who shot twice at officers 
if he comes out and wants to die in a blaze of glory, that's his choice. And we were fully prepared to do that. We held the perimeter for two hours in hot July uh, summertime heat. We, the other officers were able to evacuate everybody in the townhouse. It was a phenomenal job by all the officers involved. Until the, the state police hostage negotiator, they show up. They eventually are able to talk the guy out. And I go into the ambulance. You know, everything, now it's time to decompress. Now it's time to, to do your after-action report, what you did right, what you did wrong. Let's, let's think about this. I go into the ambulance because i got to go to the hospital. i got to get all this glass removed from my arm. And I'll, back, this happened, in, uh, this happened in July 10th of 2013. My first instinct was I have to call my wife. And this is the early days of cell phones. Text messaging wasn't that big yet. And I'm thinking to myself, if she hears that there's a shooting in, in Roseland, she's going to think I'm involved because she knows I'm working. So I have to reach out to her. But my cell phone is in front of the house. And at this particular time, I'm in the ambulance. He's not out of the house yet. I can't go get it. I get an EMT's cell phone. I remember my, my wife's cell phone number at the time. He still remembered cell phone numbers. And I call her. I said, very calmly, I said, look, hon, I was in a shooting. I'm okay. I'm not shot. But I have to go to the hospital. I have glass in my arm. I will be home soon. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, imagine my wife getting this, or any wife or spouse of a police officer, getting this call. And this is the, this is, they're the unsung heroes of the law enforcement world. Because yes, they are. They have, they have to deal with us going to work, and there's a possibility that we're not coming home. And the stress that she was under that night, I can't imagine it. And I don't want to imagine it. But I, I go agree to the hospital. 100%. For, for, very quickly, I, I, my last, one of my last shootings, we had the old car phone in the, the emergency vehicle that showed up. And I had to call my wife because it would be all over the news. And I, I, I remember saying I was physically ill. I was throwing up from the last shooting. And I was on the phone with her and saying, I'm okay. I was in a shooting. It's going to be all over the news. I want you to be all right. She was furious. I don't mean in a bad way, Kevin, because like me, when I'm really, really hurt or I'm really afraid, I get very angry. And that was her initial response. And she never could. But thank goodness. I didn't really realize until after retired how it impacted people. Especially the people that are closest to us. Oh, mother, father, sisters, my wife, my kids, they're still paying the price. You know, my, my kids, there's a big possibility my kids would have never known their father. Man, my three-year-old would have remembered me a little bit. My seven-month-old never remember me. But, you know, after the hospital, I get the glass removed. They tell me I was working Wednesday, Thursday that week. They tell me, hey, you can have Thursday off. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. I got a four-day weekend. This is, this is fantastic. And that's really how I thought. I went home, and I was so amped up. I went for a run because I was a big runner at the time. I went for a run. I was able just, just to get out some of that energy. I come home from the run, and finally it's time for me to settle down. I get about four or five hours of sleep. I wake up, and, you know, the police world is like a sewing circle. Fifty phone calls. What happened? What happened? I get back to as many people as possible. The, that Thursday night, my wife and I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's family time for me now. I'm like, this is, this is great. You know, we're going to go down and see my parents live by Atlantic City. We're going to go down and see them this weekend. We made all these plans. We go out to a movie, and it was a comedy. And... While we're sitting there, there is a huge bang in, in the movie theater. It's, it's something on the screen. I started having a, an honest panic attack. I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't breathe. 
my heart's pounding. I, I didn't want to scare my wife. I get up and go to the bathroom trying to calm down. I can't go back in the movie theater because my heart's racing so bad. I, she finally comes out and says, are you okay? And I said, nah, you know what? I, I don't really like this movie. You don't want to, you don't want to show weakness to your spouse. No. And I didn't understand what was going on. I just figured it was a momentary thing. You know, it's just in a shooting. It's, it's okay. Little did I know that this was the beginning of a very, very dark rabbit hole that I'm about to go down. And on that note, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Kevin Donaldson. Kevin, I'm so glad you're here telling us the story. I'm glad you survived. And we're going to go into the dark days in just a few moments. Kevin is a retired police officer from Roseland, New Jersey. He is also a podcaster. His podcast is called The Suffering Podcast. Go online, thesufferingpodcast.com. And he has a nonprofit group called Dented Development. You can get more details on their website, thesufferingpodcast.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll return to our conversation with Kevin in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Back to our conversation with Kevin Donaldson, retired police officer from Roseland, New Jersey. He's also a podcaster. His name is Podcast is The Suffering Podcast. Go online to sufferingpodcast.com and check out his nonprofit called Dented Development. We went to break, Kevin. You're talking about you went to a movie with your wife and there's a loud noise and all of a sudden you had all the physical reactions of going through a really traumatic experience panic attack people like i hate that term by the way anxiety i hate that term as well i call it the adrenaline fight or flight you know the heartbeat all that stuff sweaty palms jittery and hyper vigilance beyond description is that a fair assessment of what happened to you it's exactly the assessment you go to bed at night and you you can't sleep and when you do sleep you have horrendous nightmares you wake up so wet that you're not sure that you went to the bathroom in the bed. You have to actually go check to see if it's just sweat. And you start going down this bad rabbit hole where you start picking up some serious unhealthy behaviors. You can't be around a large group of people. Fourth of July is an absolute nightmare where you have to just bury yourself in a little hole because of all the bangs. My relationship with my family and my kids. My kid was playing with Nerf guns. It accidentally pointed one at me. He's three years old. I took it and snapped it right in two right in front of him and threw it in the garbage like it was nothing. And that led me to serious heavy drinking, uh, disappearing for days on end. I didn't want to be found um, and ultimately ended or didn't end. But uh, I, I actually put the gun in my mouth. I used to carry a 38 off duty chief special revolver, beautiful gun nickel-plated, which I recently qualified for. To this day, I can still feel the gunpowder on my tongue, the metal on my teeth, about 2 in the morning, crying hysterically, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm just looking for a reason. I'm crying hysterically. I'm looking for a reason just to say no. The only thing that brought me back was just thinking about my kids, and they would never know who I was. And after 
some other really unhealthy behaviors. You know, you're, you're, everything that you just mentioned, I had it all. I realized that I needed help. It ultimately ended, ended me up in rehab, uh, which I learned that I'm actually not an alcoholic. The people in rehab are alcoholics. I just had a little bit of a, a hiccup, which is okay. Yeah. But you also have this feeling that you're alone. And, and being alone, it, it's, it's the worst feeling in the world because you're in this dark tunnel and you can't see anything. But you know what I know, what I realize now is when you're in that dark tunnel, like you said you had a, a similar story. There are people that walk alongside of you in this dark tunnel. They got night vision on, so they can see because they've been through it, but you can't see them. So you think you're all alone until you start seeing that light and you're looking around and you're like, hey, there are people with me. Unfortunately, so, so many people develop the mindset that, you know, I'm a nuisance. I'm a burden. Uh, people that love me would be better off if I wasn't around. That's where I was. That's exactly where I was. The, I, I didn't want to burden my family with this monster that has been created over the next Three three months. That was it. Was some I was disgusted at myself. Well, I got to ask that, you this: two things. This monster inside. I understand what you're saying. What people see on the outside is not what we feel on the inside. The inner fear of how I might react was far worse than I ever appeared to anybody. Was that the case for you? I put on that brave front whenever I went out. People knew I was in a shooting, and some people were brazen enough to ask me, but most people just sort of danced around the subject. They would come up to you, and I had officers checking on me. They're like, you know, they knew I was in a bad spot, but they didn't really want to say too much, and I didn't want to talk to them. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed no. about my reactions. The other question I was going to ask, did you ever reach a point where you became ashamed of who you were and how you were living? I always thought I was stronger than this, John. Yeah. And, it, and, it turn, and it turns out that when you go through a traumatic incident like this, you're not. And, you know, the, you go to these unhealthy, you go to these doctors, which are horrible doctors, the workers' comp doctors. They, one guy said, I, you know, you were, you were an officer. Didn't you expect to get shot at? Well, there's something like less than .05 officers get shot at. Less than .01 get shot. I mean, it's, it's a small number. Gee, thanks. So no, I've I, been shot at four times. It made me sound like a freak of the, freak of the world. <laughs> Well, Baltimore's a little different than Roseland. Well, here's the thing. It's such a unique personal experience, but you're absolutely right. When you have people that have not gone through this, I, I, and not to tell my story, I found the most help from combat veterans and also other first responders, law enforcement officers who've been in act of violence, extreme acts of violence. People that read about it, God bless them. I love that they, they are dedicating their life to helping people. They really were not in a position to help. That's, that's the problem with spouses. They want to understand. They really do want to understand, but they can't because they've never been through it. I found a lot of joy in going to group meetings with other officers who were involved in shootings because they had the same thing I had. So all of a sudden, I'm not alone anymore. And then after I get through it, I realized something, that I was treating this, this, this they call it a disorder, and that's, I don't like that word disorder. Me either. You and I, I agree on so much. I was treating this so wrong. I was running away from my problem. You know, I used the prairie fire analogy. So years ago, I read this thing on how to survive a prairie fire. The sad part about a prairie fire is it's our human instinct to run away from danger. But all we have to do is run towards it, and we'll get through it a little scarred and a little charred, but we'll be alive, where if we run away from it, it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it'll consume us. And that's what I was doing. I was running away from it. But one day, I decided to pivot and run towards it and embrace my suffering and I just found a whole new world. I got through to the other side. 
one of the tools was now I'm in a, I'm in a position to help other officers who went through the same thing to show them that they're not alone. This suffering that you're going through is what's going to define you for the rest of your life. And if you can repurpose it and put it back out there in the world, it is a so, it is such a powerful tool it is. that you can help other people. And that's kind of the way that I mirrored this into into my podcast. Before I we go to your podcast, there is a tremendous amount of, if, if you want relief, when I say you, I mean anyone. If you want relief from the chronic condition of self, doesn't matter what caused the damage to self. You've got to turn your life, your actions to helping someone else. And people who've been involved in post-traumatic stress, traumatic incidents that have been dinged up, have been damaged, have been injured, are uniquely qualified to help those who are going through it now. Nobody's going to listen to my life if it was all sunshine and rainbows. You have to have some, I've never met one interesting person that hasn't had some damage in their life. No, and that, and that includes people outside of law enforcement. I've met so many people that, oh, yeah, I went to this, and you're, you're and go, oh my goodness. It's hard to believe. I had a guest on a show who was um, the United States Army Special Forces was in a battle of Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down. And he was fine as long as he was busy. When he retired and then had some time, some downtime, all the demons popped up. And that's what that's where my story ends. But now what I do is I, I help people repurpose their suffering. And teach them the tools that I learned on how to get through it quicker. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stink, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be dark times. But when you get to that other side, that other side is a real thing of beauty because you have this ability now to have a voice that's going to be listened to because of what you went through. If you hadn't gone through it, you would never have this gift. So I was through this gift, I was able, I forgive the guy who shot at me. I know he wasn't shooting at Kevin Donaldson. I know he was shooting at a police officer. And believe it or not, and this is going to sound very strange, he's the hero of my story because he made me turn my life. Because what I'm doing now, I can say, and I love being a police officer, and I'd give my pension back tomorrow to be a police officer. But what I'm doing now, this is my life's purpose, to help others. Another life of service. It's kind of the reason we got in law enforcement, right, right. And And you're doing a lot of that through your podcast, The Suffering Podcast, correct? Yeah, we, we, we focus a lot on... First responders, fire, EMS, law enforcement. We also go on the outside. We also go to the regular citizen because everybody's got a suffering story. And if you learn how to, we had a guy in that lost his son to suicide at the age of 17 after being bullied. He left our studio after releasing all of this stuff and embracing his suffering. And he, he called us and he, he said, that was the most peaceful ride home since Jimmy died. His name was Jimmy Halberger. It was, a, it was an amazing thing. It was one of the biggest, you know, rewards. You're not looking for a reward when you do it. But what we also, my partner, Mike Felace and I, he's also a retired officer who was in a shooting. What we realized is we are dented individuals. That's okay? a great word thing, for it, dented. And your, your program is called Dented Development, correct? Dented Development Project is our nonprofit because we, we consider ourselves dented. And dented things, we can still operate. We just aren't as pretty as we used to be. And what we do is we use that our nonprofit to help uh, first responders and their families, because like I said before, the families are the real unsung heroes of what we do. Uh, when, whenever there's some suffering that pops up, we're, we're pretty broad with it. Whenever some suffering pops up, hey, we may be able to give you some money for groceries so you don't have to worry about this week. Or, you know, we, we, may be, uh, we, we just did Christmas in Patterson the other day where we handed out gifts to children. And, um, what is your website where we get more information? 
Okay, so you can either, our podcast is, you just go to the sufferingpodcast.com, and our website for our nonprofit is go to denteddevelopment.com. Kevin, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, John. I really appreciate it. This was fun. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.